Before we start, I'd like to pray. Would you join me? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher kitsheno b'mitzvotav, etzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Well, I was reading this week's Torah portion in Numbers, starting in number 16. It's called Karach. And I have to tell you, I felt for Moses. And I thought, can't he get a break? Isn't it possible for this, for this man, Moses, to be treated fairly and respectfully and kindly by those he's leading? And even though what I was reading about has long, has long ago happened, even though Moses has passed away, even though uh, he, his life is over, and he's not suffering right now, my heart just went out to him. And I thought, how did he do it? How did he stay faithful? How did he keep going in such a difficult situation? If you don't know the story of Korach, I want to review a, a little bit of it with you. Because it's not, it's not just an extraordinary story, an extraordinary episode from the past. There's something to learn for us. And so you can turn to Numbers chapter 16. It says, now Korach, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Datan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben. So you've got a Levite and a, some Reubenites. They took men and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown, and they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves because the whole congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you lift yourselves up above the assembly of the Lord? So it was really a challenge to Moses and a challenge to Aaron and a challenge from some of the Levites and many of the leaders in the, in the whole greater community of Israel, a challenge of the priesthood, because the Levites had been given different offices within the, the ministry of service of the tabernacle and the ministry of worship, but it was only those select few who, who were uh, sons of Aaron and descendants of Aaron who were called to be the high priest. And so these leaders were against Moses who was leading the whole community and Aaron who was leading the priesthood. And you see that Moses hears this, he falls on his face, and then there's a confrontation that he promises. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to jump down to verse 12 and just look at this very significant moment. It says, Moses sent to call Datan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up to you. Moses said, I want to meet with you. And they said, we're not coming. And look at the word they said in verse 13. Is it a small thing that you've brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? Do you see that? And now you want to kill us in the wilderness? 
You keep acting like a prince over us. Moreover, you've not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We're not coming up. That was their response. On, on, uh, on any measure of respect, you would say, these guys are dissing Moses and Aaron. And you know what? They're also challenging Moses and basically saying, you, you puff yourself up, you make yourself to be so great, and you are a failure. We were in a great land, flowing with milk and honey, and what have you done? You brought us into a wilderness. What a failure you are. And now you want a confrontation with us? What, so you can poke our eyes out? So you can kill us? That's how you want to treat us? I read this and I thought, poor Moses. You could understand why he might want to quit and just say, enough is enough. Who needs this? Have you ever been in a situation like that where you want to quit and you just want to say, enough is enough. I can't take it anymore. Well, if so, you can really identify. You can identify with what Moses went through. Now, as I was reading this, I also connected this to the episode that we read about last week when the spies came back from having spied out the promised land. And if you remember, they gave a bad report. And Joshua and Caleb were trying to say, we can go up into that land, but the 10 spies said, you know what, we'll never be successful. And I see a connection between that bad report and this bad report. The fact is, when you start getting in the mood of giving bad reports, you can see everything that way. When you start becoming negative and that colors your perspective, you will see things negatively even if they're positive. half full, half empty, you know which way you're gonna see it. Now maybe there's a situation you're facing right now and people around you are seeing things negatively or maybe you yourself have fallen into that and instead of rose-colored glasses, what would, what would the color be? Smoke-colored glasses. You see everything, it's hazy, it's blurry, it's dark, it's awful. God wants to give you a different perspective. He wants you to be able to see from his perspective. When the spies were sent to the, to the promised land, they, they needed to see with God's eyes. And God said, I'm giving this land to you. But they didn't see that way. They saw with their eyes and they saw the obstacles. They saw the problems. They saw the difficulties. They didn't see opportunity. They saw things in a negative way. Now I'm not talking about being optimistic or Pollyannish. I'm talking about something else. That there are, there are perils that we all face. There are traps we all face. Giving up and wanting to go back. 
That was one of the struggles for the children of Israel. There were those who wanted to go back to Egypt. In fact, when they thought about what it would take to go into the promised land, many of them said it was so good before. How do you know you're in trouble? It's when you look back and you say, that was the best time if only I could get back there. It's great to look back and to remember what God has done. But here's the, here's the fact. Time moves forward. You can't, you can't move into the past. You can move from the past into the future. One of the signs that, that we're in trouble is, is when we say it'll never be as good as it used to be. If only, if only. You see, when you give up and you want to go back, you'll start looking for people who will lead you back you'll start looking for fellowship with people who want to go back. And when that happens, instead of being a Kadima person, a forward person, you're gonna expose yourself to great danger. There's another thing that we see. It's a trap and it's a peril of life. It's a complaining spirit that comes over us, that takes us over, that begins to motivate us and drive us. And it's just against this and it's against that. It's negative, it can't see the good in anything, it cries wah, 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 all the time. And if you find yourself under that, you need to take a, take a stand. Look back, remember what God has done. Look up, as we talked about last week. Look up and turn your eyes towards the Lord and look ahead and see what will it be like when you get through the problem that you're in. Anybody got a problem that you'd like to get out of? Anybody? I'm not, I'm not alone. Hallelujah. Only one. Yeah. Anybody have more than one problem you'd like to put behind you? <laughs> It's not, it's not just a matter of trying to forget your problems, it's a matter of getting through them and beyond them. When you give up and you wanna go back, you'll never get through your problems. You'll just go back to the old ones. We had a, an old friend, she got into a desperate situation. She became the girlfriend of a guy who turned out to be part of an organized crime group. That was a bad situation. He wanted to marry her, gave her a diamond ring. She was terrified. How do you say no to such a person? And in her desperation, she decided to flee. And she left where she was living with no notice, she was so desperate. And as she was driving, she looked at that ring and fear came over her, that diamond ring, and you know what she did? She rolled the window down and driving on the interstate, 60, 70 miles an hour, that, that ring learned to fly. And, and she drove more than a thousand miles to begin a new life. But when she started that new life, she discovered something. She said, every time I've gotten into trouble, I've run away. And the problem is, 
I always take me with me. And so every time she escaped a bad situation, she went into a new situation, but the same person with the same kinds of problems, the same perspective, the same habits. And she realized that she needed something completely different in her life. And that's when she came to the Lord because she needed to be born again. She had to start all over. It wasn't just a matter of having a new attitude or a new circumstance. She needed to become a new person. And the way you become a new person in Messiah is you confess your sin against God. You acknowledge to him that you have been living your life on your own, going your own way. You repent, you turn away from that life of independence from God. And then you make a new start and, and you, you accept that that old person spiritually needs to die. That's one of the reasons for tevilah, for being immersed in water, to identify with the death of, and the burial of Yeshua so that you can identify also with his resurrection. And as you put your faith in Messiah who rose from the dead, you, you realize that he can make you into a new creation. And a new creation is different than an old creation. Instead of just coping with who you are and who you have been, you become new. And you have the opportunity to live in a different way. Another trap, another peril is being discontent. Korach. And those 250 significant leaders, they were discontent. They weren't happy with what God gave them and what he was trying to give them. And in that discontent, they had to transfer it on to someone else. You know, when you're miserable, it's very hard to say, it's my fault. Have you noticed that? It's much easier to say, it's his fault, it's her fault, it's everyone else's fault. But what's really important is to learn how to become content in all circumstances. Paul said, I've been content when I've had plenty. How many of you have found it's easier to be content when you've got a lot? Right? And sometimes we pray when we don't have enough. We pray, Lord, just give me more than enough so that I can be happy. And then you meet some person, <coughs> excuse me, who has more than enough and they're not happy. Or you see, you see the terrible news of a millionaire or a billionaire whose life is destroyed and broken, whose family has been lost and you realize money can't buy you love. It can buy you a lot of things, but it can't buy you love. It's important when we see discontentment rising up in us that we deal with it. That's, the, that's one of the lessons from Korah. If you don't deal with it, it's, <clears throat> it's going to deal with you. My throat's a little dry right now. I'm going to take more water. But you will find that discontentment can destroy you. It can produce a bitter root. 
And discontentment can destroy relationships because in your discontentment and in that complaining, that's what you communicate to other people about who you are and what you are. And you become to them a bitter root and distasteful. Now, the other trap and peril that I see, I'm not sure if this was clear to you from uh, verse 1, Korach is identified as a Levite. You know, Moses is a Levite. And Korach is a Levite. There are Reubenites and others who are involved in this, but the, the Levites are giving Moses a hard time here. Some of the Levites. Those who are joined with Korach. And so you see something. It's family that's giving the hassle. And it's not just strangers, it's not just other people, but you know, family can be a challenge. Family knows your best parts and your worst parts. They remember the stories you want to forget. They remember what you were like. I love my family. I love my brother. I love my four sisters. I love their spouses, their children. And sometimes I just like to be with them because then I have no way of escaping who I am. I don't get any preferential treatment for being a rabbi. I don't have any roles I get to fill. I have no status. <laughs> if anything, I lose status. And it's healthy. It's healthy, but I can tell you family can be tough. One of my sisters, bless her soul, she remembers when we were kids. And she was younger than me, still is. <laughs> and she was always more motivated to play games with me than I was to play games with her. So she'd beg. And I would say, okay, well, I'll play if you'll set up and put everything away. Every time. And that was, that was the least of the abusive things I did with her. The very least. I mean, there were many other things. And even over these last decades, I can tell you I've apologized almost annually. Because she still remembers that. And maybe some of you have siblings like that. You remember something that one of them did and it colors everything. Or you've got a parent or a child who's like that. And I apologize and you know, in the, in the back of my mind I think, will she ever forgive this? Will she ever stop bringing it up? And I think the answer is no. <laughs> and so it just gives me one more opportunity to humble myself and say, oh man, that was my problem. And I'm still paying for it. <laughs> now when we look at Korach, and all those with them, we see something else, and, and that is that they are they're driven, 
driven by jealousy, by greed and envy. They want what isn't theirs. They want what belongs to another. They've been given a position of status and leadership in the community of Israel, but it's not enough. And ambition can be good. Desiring more can be good. But they had something fundamentally wrong, and it, it reminded me of a story about three dairy farmers. And all three of them were sort of struggling in, in, in their area. It was a, it was a hard place to have a dairy farm. And, and one, of them, one of them prayed and, and said, I, I can't do this, I've only got 50, 50 cows, it's, it's not enough, I need, I need help. And you know what, God blessed that, that farmer and his herds did really well. It, it was healthy and it grew well, it produced a lot of milk of the highest quality, and he was getting top dollar. And he ended up going from 50 head to 100 head, and he was so happy. Well, he had a neighbor down the street who was a little bit envious of that. He wasn't doing so well. So this neighbor prays and, and says, you know, that, that other dairy farmer, he's not a better man than me. He shouldn't be blessed more than I am. We both started with 50 head, and I still have 50, and now he's got 100, so bless me and allow me to increase to 100. And you know, over time, he got blessed. And his, his herd grew, and his work grew, and he grew financially. And then there was one more neighbor down the street, down that dirt road, and he wasn't doing well either, and he looked at the, the first guy then he looked at the second guy and he said, you know, they're not better than me. He started praying. He said, but they're blessed a lot more than I am. We all started with 50 head and I still have 50 and they have 100. And so here was his prayer. Please bless me and kill 50 of each of their calves. <laughs> Terrible prayer, isn't it? But that's the way some people think. You shouldn't have it. If I don't have it, you shouldn't have it. Rabbinic literature about Korach really focuses on jealousy. And it helps us understand just how important it is to not be ruled by jealousy. We're all vulnerable to it, but we have to be careful not to give in to it. When someone else is doing well, Thank the Lord for their success. When someone else has a breakthrough and a locked door in their life opens up and they, they can move into something new, thank the Lord for them. Because if you start praying otherwise, you're like the guy who says, kill 50 of their cattle so we can all be even. Why should that person have a child? Why should that person get married? Why should that person get a good job? Why should they have a new house? When you're praying like that, when you're complaining like that in your spirit, it will never lead to good. Ultimately, with Korah and his whole group of people who were trusted leaders, they engaged in mutiny, they tried to take over, and God was definitive, and he dealt a death blow to their mutiny. 
And it was a warning to all of Israel, this is where such attitudes lead. It's sober for us. It's important for us. Moses learned something. He learned that not every solution is going to look like the problem. Sometimes we just try to do a mirror image of the problem in reverse in some way, and we think it'll work. I'll give an example. Moses could have said, you know what the solution is here? Korah has 250, I need 500 standing with me. He could have said, you know, Korah is trying to win the argument by persuading the people. I need to do a better job of winning the argument and be more persuasive. But that's not what he did. He understood something. Some natural problems will get solved spiritually. And so the way he approached it is through prayer. The way he approached it is by pressing into God. And it was God who vindicated, it was God who answered, it was God who delivered him. Think of what trouble Israel got into later. We read about it in the Haftorah this week. Seeing how all the nations were organized, Israel said, we need a king too. And it didn't go so well for them. They said, our problem is that our enemies have kings so we need a king to protect us. And then, you know, when Goliath showed up, it proved a point. When you try to solve your problems the way your enemies are creating problems for you, you will get in more trouble, not less. You think, oh, wow, we need a king. So who did they pick? They picked Saul, who was taller than most. He was strong and good-looking and powerful. And who came against them next? Someone even bigger, Goliath. And what were they thinking? We need someone bigger than Goliath. But who defeated Goliath? Little David, right? And what was it about David that was different than all the others? He put his trust in the Lord. He wasn't trusting himself. He wasn't trusting his strength. He wasn't crying like everybody else was, seeing the situation already as defeat. He was looking at the problem and he said, God is so much bigger than this enemy. He will give us victory. And little David showed once again how God's solutions are often hafuch. Say that with me. Hafuk. They're turned upside down. They're upside down from normal thinking. And you may have a situation right now and you figured it out and you said, oh, you know what? I need this or I need that. And God's going to work in a surprising way, not according to the solution you came up with, not according to the problem. He is going to do something bigger and greater if you'll press into him. And you'll say, Lord, I need help from you. Sometimes it only takes that. It takes that pause, that stop, and that pursuit of God to get the answer that you need. Well, I want to pray for everybody who needs a breakthrough.
All of you who said you had at least one problem you want to get through and put behind you. And especially for those who have two problems. And for anyone who has six. Anyone have six? Ten? Ten problems. Twenty problems? Who give me 20? Who give me 30? I got 30 over here. Who give me 40? If you've got problems, <laughs> if you've got problems, God has answers for you. Let's pray. Listen, if you identify with that, if you say, I really need a breakthrough, stand to your feet. Oh man, why do so many of you have big problems? You know, we need a congregation with fewer problems. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe this is our life, is to go through the spiritual battles and get to the other side. Lord, I don't even want to look right now. So many of us are facing challenges so many of us are in the middle of spiritual battles that look like natural battles. And we're looking for natural solutions, but we need spiritual solutions. And we think that we'll get a natural breakthrough, but we need a spiritual breakthrough too. And I pray in the name of Yeshua that you would teach us to take up our spiritual weapons and to put the shield of faith up as a defense to learn to pray in the spirit, to learn to pray uh, without ceasing, to learn to pray with thanksgiving rather than with worry, to pray about everything instead of worrying about everything, to give thanks to you, to dwell on what's excellent and what's lovely and what's beautiful and good. And I pray, Lord, for those who, who have come to the end of their own solutions, they're ready for your solution. And I pray that you would reward them with breakthroughs as they put their trust in you. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. 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 We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing by yourself, why don't you move so that you can be with somebody. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.